how to account for his rise to the top. Man, the man is nonstop. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I'm curious. Bear with me. Okay, we swear to God we're not going to spend too long on this. Should we put a timer on it? Like, I'm just going to start a timer. You've always got a timer in your head anyway. I reckon we should be. I'm going to put a crab timer on this. Are we going to say we can't go for more than five minutes on this topic? You're such a hard ass. All right. For anyone not in the know. Who's running? We we are we of course to see about Hamilton to... at the Lyric Theatre. <laughs> we are about to start banging on about Hamilton again because we've been to see the Australian production <sighs> and we were sitting next to each other. We were, and it was it was star studded. Oh, I've never seen anything like it. Was it. Ridiculous! It was I kept amazing. Looking around going, is that Keith Urban? Oh yes. I was thinking what an absolute nightmare it must have been to organise the seating for that thing to figure out who's got status in this room. <laughs> It was really t- yeah. Is it with the American producer or the former Australian Prime Minister? Yeah, very tricky. <laughs> it's just classic. Don't know. But it was exhilarating. It was unbelievably good. And I've got to say, you know, there is this kind of generalised fear when you see a new production of a show that you've become incredibly familiar with. You're just like, you, you're like a parent, you know, yeah. how's this going to turn out? I felt almost weepingly anxious on the day. Yep. Because it's also really hard. It's a hard gig. It's a hard show. Right, hard show to cast. It's a hard show to perform. And everybody, you know, who's interested has seen the Disney Plus version, which has this extraordinary cast. And you're casting in the middle of a pandemic. I know. And rehearsing in the middle of a pandemic. Right. Yeah. And the other thing is, like, that there is a kind of restricted casting um, uh, envelope because the tradition of the show is that, non-Anglo characters, um, actors must play the roles. Yeah. So in a way, this actually was a really fascinating um, experiment of concerning the quota system, right? Like with that whole argument that, you know, it's inconsistent with merit. Well, I tell you what, the show... Oh my god! Absolutely blows it out of the water. It was I just, so good. Yeah, they nailed it. Yeah, it's interesting you say anxiety because I felt like from you know the second that it was announced that it was coming to Australia that I was anxious mostly because of COVID and because I was thinking, how's this going to how's this going to happen? How's this going to happen? And what if they start? You know, because obviously when you're doing a show, like a lot of money is getting put in because the theatre for this show has to be reconfigured. Um, the you know you got to hire the cast and start start selling the tickets and all yep. the rest of it. And so. As it was drawing closer, I was feeling more and more anxious thinking, like I'd be, say, you know, at Central Station in Sydney and I'd notice just gigantic that the stairs had been taken over by Hamilton Marketing and I'd think, oh, God, they're spending so much money. Oh, God, and it's going to, what if it doesn't open? Oh, God. So I was just constantly in this fits of anxiety. And then, as you say, that that anxiety about... um, oh, God, are they going to be okay? Are they going to be able to pull this off? You know, it's such a high degree of difficulty. And as you say, everyone's now seen the Disney Plus and... So when it started and, you know, every, everybody dun, in it absolutely dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody in it absolutely nailed it. They were all fantastic. And so you sort of had this, I had this like, I'm getting goosebumps now even talking about yeah, it, this vicarious thrill watching them going, oh, my God, they are not just like pulling this off, they yeah. are nailing it yeah. and just feeling so happy for them yeah. that you guys have just absolutely killed this, you've smashed it out of the park, it's just <laughs> sensational. And then just this incredible feeling of relief for the promoter, for them, for everybody involved that it hasn't been derailed by COVID, they've abs- they're absolutely smashing it, they're all, you know, big stars. Um, oh, my God, it was it's, so good. I reckon I, I felt 
particularly in the second half when they really kind of brought it home. I mean, the first half was exhilarating too. I'm not saying the second half is better, but I felt as it became clear that this was going to be not just, phew, okay, this is fine. Yeah. It was actually a triumph. I just felt this real wave of national pride. I felt so proud. It felt like an historic night in Australian theatre. And, um, you know, that in the middle of a pandemic, we can pull off a production of this quality. Oh, it was so it good. It was just, yeah, it really I, was um, quite extraordinary. And, I'm, know, yep. Sorry, I'm going again in a few weeks and I'm going to be really interested as well to see um, <laughs> now that the cast has had time to bed in because I, I would imagine from their perspective you'd have to be, because of the, the Disney Plus production coming out, I mean that's a mixed blessing because perhaps an audience has seen it who now wants to come, so mm. that's great, mm. but it also means people have in their head that, you know, Alexander Hamilton is Lin-Manuel yeah. Miranda and so forth. Yeah. Um, and I can only assume there must be that feeling of trepidation where you would think to yourself, okay, I think I'm doing a good job, but how's this going to be received by the audience? Yeah. And I think in Act 2, once they've had that sense that, you know, on the night, because the crowd was sort of loving it and there were yeah. certain moments where the crowd went like really nuts. So like, nuts they have to stop. Yeah. 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 So at the end of, say, The Room Where It Happens, um, yeah. the audience has just gone absolutely uh, ecstatic. Lyndon Watts, can I just say? like Fantastic. I mean, that's a high, high bar to meet. It is. By and Aaron did, Burr, which is the biggest part in the show. Uh, totally. And um, I would do was, anything for that man. Uh, <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a liquid cat. He was great. <laughs> Just like, and oh my God, his but physicality I, is very, very important. But oh I wonder gosh. now, like once, once, surely it must help you when you've seen the audience that you've performed and the audience has responded ecstatically because yeah. you've done it so well. Surely that has to help you then sort of settle into your performance and whatnot. So Maybe I'm going to be really turn interested up, there'll to be see. this like hyper caricatured bit where he's just like actually taking his pants off in that, <laughs> in that bit. Also, just quickly, because we've got like about 15 seconds left of this agreed time slot. Um, do you've got to tell the story of your fangirl moment where you went to Jelly Hall? Oh, Halfway yeah. <laughs> so um, he, uh, so I went to the, uh, you know, at interval, I'm sort of, you know, heading out through this big crowd and this young man stops me and says, oh, hi, I just wanted to say hi, I'm a big fan um, and I love your podcast and it really gives me a thrill when you talk about Hamilton because <laughs> my wife's in it. And I said, um, oh, is she, oh, what's she doing in it? And he goes, oh, she's, it's uh, Chloe, Chloe. she's, she's. Eliza. And I just went, oh, my God, oh, my God, you must be dying. You must be so proud of her because she was so good. So it's sort of reversed from him fanning me to me, just basically like leaping on him and just nearly weeping at how happy he must be about his wife being Eliza Hamilton. Um, Yeah, that was really funny. Anyway, it's just one of those things. I know it's expensive to go to the theatre and I know if you're not in Sydney in particular, you know, you've got to schlep up here and go to it. But it's one of those things that I, you know, I think it's it's really like nothing that you've ever seen in your life. And yep. I, I would say put aside $10 a week if you can and try to sort of get yourself to it before it's it. It's been extended, I think. So it is. It's going to the end of the year. While. Yeah. Oh um, and, I mean, it's, it, I assume at some point it's going to travel, but I don't, I don't really know. So I don't know. I think if you wanted to treat yourself and you've got the capacity to do so, um, you know, save some pennies up to be able to go to it because it's just – it's really, really something. Did you have a standout performer? Is there one you particularly fell in love with? Do you know the person that I, I thought was fantastic? It was um, I don't know the actress's name, so if you've got it up, you can tell me. Um, the woman who played Peggy and <gasps> Maria Reynolds. Oh, yeah. She was a real – I mean, look, they were all absolutely fantastic. She was Alandra a Eremia. She was a real standout because that character in the Disney Plus and production – And Peggy. Um, 
when I saw it in London and on the Disney Plus, that character, I don't really like that song, doesn't really stand out to me, but she was like mesmerising. She was yeah. absolutely fantastic in, in both of those roles. And also just Jason Arrow who plays Alexander yeah. Hamilton. Um, yeah. He... He, he made – there was a few bits where he did things that differed slightly to how Lin-Manuel did it and I thought all of his choices where he varied things up were fl- flawless and spot on. I yep. thought he did an excellent job yep. of bringing his own yep. sort of flavour to yep. it w- while at the same time being true to the character. I thought, yep. he, I thought he was excellent. Hard agree. I'm a big fan for Shaka Cook as well who played Hercules Mulligan. Absolutely outstanding. Is that just, the young guy from the Pilbara? Yeah. Yeah, he was he's, outstanding. Uh, yeah, he's I really just could not keep my eyes off him. He's tremendous. I agree. I thought he absolutely nailed it. But more broadly, no one in the whole cast is a dud. Like, no. Because you know that, you know, the the, um, the dancers come in with speaking roles. Yeah. And I was watching all of them super closely, which is something that you can do when you're not watching it on the small screen. You can, like, yeah. focus on different characters. And they're all flawless. It's just um, a miraculous piece of um, direction. It's, anyway. And I think, you know, <laughs> me and you and me and my friend Lisa Miller were all texting, like me and Lisa were texting 48 hours later going, I am still on an absolute high. I am just out of control high from seeing this. Like it was just so absolutely, oh, my God, it was uh, just so anyway, good. I loved we'll it. Okay, we'll, we'll shut up now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I had a very funny anxiety dream last night. I've yeah. been having, I've got lots of stuff on at the moment, so I've been having like increasingly um, ridiculous ones. And my one last night was incredibly simple and linear. I was at a writers festival and I was busting for a wee and I couldn't find a toilet that was unoccupied. And over the course of this dream, I was just like blundering into increasingly ornate <laughs> and kind of like and sort of shonky bathrooms, like little sheds and things. And there was like always like famous writers or somebody else on the toilet and in the end I had to wee in a jar on a shuttle bus in this dream and it was because I had to get I had to get to my interview with Rachel Cusk, oh, Rachel which is Cusk. actually happening. Oh I'm my doing God, that at the Sydney what? Writers Festival. When is that? Can it's you sling like, me some tickets it's to that? Immediate, like <laughs> it's, it's imminent. Oh, Lee. when it's is like it? this week. You're doing interviewing Rachel Cusk this week? Correct. Oh, my God. And getting it in the can ready then to play in the Writers Festival. Live. Live. Oh, my God. When yeah. is it? It is like the Sydney Writers Festival is like end of April, beginning of May. Oh, my God. We're at the end of April. No. I know. <laughs> I know. Oh. Hey, just, I mean, I realised that last night, which I think is what occasioned my, um, you know, wee dream. Oh, I mean, I like the way God. I can adapt it to bodily functions, even though essentially what I'm frightened about is interviewing Rachel Cask. Oh, because my God. What's her new book like? It is Unbelievable. What's good. it called? It's called Second Place. So mm-hmm. the last things she wrote was was the trilogy, um, Transit, um, mm. Kudos, which is the third one, and the middle one is Outline. Uh, what? Outline. Outline. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, thank you, thank you, Cusk Gary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just read the new one, which is like super fresh, and it is. She is absolutely at the height of her powers. That woman. What's the premise of it? Right. So the premise is um, the central character is a writer, mm-hmm. again, um, and she lives on a marsh uh-huh. with her husband, virtually alone. Her adult daughter comes and goes a little bit and she's visiting Paris on a sort of writer's festival sort of thing and She's lonely, she's unhappy. This is actually years and years earlier. And she walks through the streets and she sees an exhibition by this painter. 
who describes the world to her and light and people in a way that absolutely sinks its hooks into her. She cannot stop thinking about this painter. And years and years later, when she's left her unhappy marriage and, and, um, and you know, shacked up with this marsh guy, um, she writes to the painter and says, um, I've always thought about that exhibition of yours that, you saw, that I saw. Um, the marsh that I live on has a second residence. Would you like to come and oh. stay because there's incredible light here? I feel like you would describe this landscape in a way that nobody else could. Anyway, the, op- the, the offer's there. And eventually he does come to stay. And the book in, in, in most part is about the psychological battle that goes on between her and the painter. Oh. She's kind of obsessed with him but not really sexually, it's more that she wants him to see her. She really wants him to paint her, but he won't. She wants to be seen and described by him because she's having trouble describing herself. It's just, it is so sticky. And in that kind of husky way, it is unmatchably beautifully structured and I found myself just furiously underlining, underlining the whole time. She has a way of just vocalising certain uncertainties that you have about yourself and your own life experience in a, um, a really quite richly enlightening way. Do you remember when I went for that bibliotherapy? Yeah. Rachel Cusk was one of the books well, I think recommended. That that's how, how we got onto her. That's how we got onto yeah, her. Yeah, that's how we got onto yeah. her. Yeah. That's bibliotherapist. Also, you're wacky, but, you know, keep, keep it shining. <laughs> she wasn't wacky shine. at all. No. She was completely <laughs> no, sensible. She is sensible, actually. I mean, not that I know her, but now I'm feeling like I've been rude to her, which obviously I shouldn't be because um, she gave you some awesomely oh, good steers, Absolutely, right? yeah. And that was, um, Rachel Cusk was definitely um, one of them. Um, you talking about that makes me think I'm definitely going to go and read that, which r- reminds me, I should report back to you that I've been very obedient and gone and done something else that you recommended really? to me. I listened to The Sure Thing, the oh. podcast. Oh, my God. This was in one of our previous <laughs> episodes. Crab talked about this podcast that the Australian Financial Reviews produced. The, the uh, reporter, Angus Grigg, has pulled it together. It's about Australia's biggest ever insider trading case and one of the guys who was convicted, Chris, has given a full interview, um, short you know, recap previously on Chat 10. Um, Chris works for the Bureau of Statistics. He's friends with this guy, Lucas, who's a currency trader at the National Australia Bank. They went to uni together. They meet at a party. They hatch a plan to do this insider trading. They get busted. It turns out Lucas has massively betrayed Chris by making epically gigantic trades that have drawn attention to their uh, scam so and they're both Including to to buying prison. one of the houses from the block. Oh, my God. I, it was the most riveting. Uh, I kept thinking, you know, oh, maybe I'm going to lose interest in this and then it just kept holding me yep. and holding me and holding me. I, I just found it an absolutely fascinating psychological oh. um, study of – I just found Chris so fascinating and how his – Literally everyone around him was saying, mate, you have been absolutely screwed by this guy, Lucas, um, and his refusal to ever view it in that kind of a way. Um, I just I could not get enough of hearing him explore his role in and how he felt about it. And then just the... Because, I mean, you never really hear people talk about this. Like, what is it like when the police knock on the door and, right. and raid your house yeah. and, and arrest you? And then what is it like when you then have to ring your mum and dad and tell yep. them that you've been arrested and, and, you know, going to prison? And, oh, my God, it was 
fantastic. Yeah, the prison bits are absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Um, particularly when he winds up in a cell oh, with, with Lucas. Lucas. It's, oh, my gosh. It's very – it was – outstanding and and very well put together and uh, I just could not stop listening to it. Right. Well, that's, you know, now you're hooked on insider trading. (laughs) (laughs) No, it was very, very good. And you mentioned the other day, and now I'm not going to just make a big deal out of of this, but you read a book called Stoner. Yes, back in about 2013. Oh, right. So did you put me onto that book? Yes. Oh, okay. I was <laughs> yeah. about to be all like, well, I told you about this years ago and now you've read it. I, re- I just reread read it. it. <laughs> I, just, I just reread it, yeah. Um, I, I, do you know, I'm in a very strange um, thing at the moment of pretty much everything that I've got to talk about over the next couple of pods are things that I have previously watched or read. I don't know why. I'm just going back to it's old because you're things. busy and frightened. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't need anything new. I don't need any new challenges in my life. So I reread Stoner, which for anyone who's not um, read it, is a novel by a guy called John Williams. It was written, I think, in the 1960s and it sort of disappeared without a trace and then it was rediscovered um, about a decade ago and then sort of everyone was raving on about it. It's a very... Um, it's quite a sparsely written book. It's about an academic who never really does anything of note and has a fairly miserable life. But he creates this mood of... It's a, it's a bit of a nothing happens novel, isn't it? It like, is, but it's so finely observed. Right. And it's... So it's, um, it's not dissimilar to the, to the Cusk novel, actually. It's, oh, exactly. Fact, totally, I was yeah. actually thinking when I read it, um, it's, it's not dissimilar to that book that I read years ago in my brain I'm going, that I told sales about, but actually it was that sales. Oh, about. that's mm. so interesting then mm. that I had read it. Yeah, mm. it's it's that kind of novel that I really like, which is not a great deal happens, but there's a rich sort of inner life yeah. and a lot of um, observation. And, and it's so tense as well. It's so tense. It's really tense and... There's a. It's almost. It almost gives you the feeling, or gives me the feeling of reading a horror novel. It's, it's sort of a sense of dread the entire time. Yep. It's got this looming feeling of dread and just horror about things. Yeah, it's almost like a Thomas Hardy level of dread. You know. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, anyway. It it is an absolutely fantastic novel. So I, I highly um recommend it. I, I remember thinking about that book when I was reading that book that I was rabbiting and raving about the other day called A Manual for Cleaning Women by oh, Lucia yeah. Berlin. Yeah. And you know this sort of weird thing that happens when writers are discovered posthumously or sort of yeah. massively celebrated posthumously through a series of, you know, sometimes coincidental, like the right person picking up the book. And um, actually after we had that discussion the other day, because I was like, you know, just cracking into the Lucia Berlin book, which is a book written by this woman. It's a collection of short stories. She lived her life as a cleaner and domestic worker and the the um, stories are intensely observational um accounts of her life really anyway I actually got a really interesting letter from a chatter saying you know the way that you talked about that book was off because you were kind of super entranced by this idea of a um, writer being discovered posthumously and you haven't paid respect to the sort of suffering that she had during her life which I think actually was quite a fair criticism anyway I've just mentioned that because I guess you know as we receive these books that are kind of incredible and like these well-preserved little jewels, the truth is that they've been kind of ground out by people with really shit lives who oh, weren't yeah. recognised at the time. Yeah, post- a posthumous discovery sucks. Yeah, really. Totally. Mm. You know, so um, the other thing that I've gone back to, which is an old favourite, is Master of None, oh, the okay. series by Suzanne Sari. And it's, it's so- Did you just go to that three-minute sequence? I, I I didn't just go to that. I watched the whole thing, but I I was eagerly awaiting that to arrive. Um, 
God, it's just so good. If you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. Um, it made me freshly enraged about um, Aziz Ansari being the victim of an anonymous um, internet thing that meant that he effectively was sort of cancelled for a period. I don't know what he's been doing since. But um, just because watching that show, it was it is so truly groundbreaking yeah. in the um, actors, uh, all diverse actors and also, or mostly, and also... Um, uh, the content and the sort of exploration of life as, you know, when your parents have been a sort of first-generation yeah. migrant and then yeah. what your life's like as the kid of, mm. of those people. Um, it It's so innovative and creative and it's hilarious. It's it's excellently acted and written and it breaks, not only does it break sort of conventions with content, it breaks conventions, I think, with, as again, when we discussed this previously, you and I talked about this sequence where he sits in the back of a cab for about three minutes and it just, <sighs> the shot stays on him for the entire time in the back of the cab as he's reflecting mentally over this evening he's just had with this woman that he's in love with. In love with, but she's got out of the cab and then he rides home. Yeah, and it's just, it's, God, it's a good series. Like, but there's two series, two seasons of it. Um, yeah, I, I just, I loved it. It's, and again, it's a thing, it's a show where it's a sort of, you know, I've talked about this kind of thing that I like before, which is a small show with small themes and yeah. small plots, or actually yeah. quite large themes in some ways, but not that much happens, but it's just so finely yeah. crafted that it's really, really rich yeah. and fin- so finely observed. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm a big, big fan of his. I'd like to know what else he's. Um, been up to. Have you ever watched Kim's Convenience? It's like just, uh, I haven't actually, I've watched a little bit of it. Jeremy's watched like a thousand episodes of it. It is incredibly funny and I just triggered my memory when you were talking about the experience of um, children of first um, generation migrants in the US because this is, um, well actually this is I think set in Canada but it's um, a Korean um, family that runs a convenience store and it's kind of um, you know, like a sort of family comedy drum, but it's like right. really, really funny and super sharply adver- observed. I definitely recommend it. Um, hey, um, just while we're talking about the um, Sydney Writers Festival coming up, because mm. I know you've got to get out of here and we're kind of, you know, we're getting to the 20, oh, 21 minute mark. We're doing all right. Mm. We might look <laughs> at your face full of fear. I'm not going to wrap it on for nine minutes. We can <laughs> yeah. get you out of here on time. Um, uh, you know, it's a super different Sydney Writers Festival this year because um, not many international guests due to COVID. There's a couple of exceptions. Peter Carey's beaming in, which would be pretty oh, yeah. amazing. Um, and Kazuo Ishiguro beaming oh, in too. Wow. wow. And, of course, the immortal Cusk. Have you read the Cusk. Ishiguro novel yet? No, I haven't. No, I've, got a, my bedside table. I've got my kind of Sydney Writers Festival pile next yeah. to mine because I like try and get across as much as I can before they come so that I can be one of those person who's, people who strokes their moustache and goes, <laughs> yes, exactly, rather than, <laughs> oh, shit, I should have read that. Um, but I'm actually the, the opening session, you know, the Writers Festival, they do this thing, they've done it for a few years now where they um, – Take they get a couple of headline writers and get them to interact with the theme of the festival. And it's really interesting yeah. because they always have like three different, totally different takes on it, some of it com- comedic and whatever. But this year they've got, um, so the, the theme is within reach and the opening session is um, Melissa, Melissa Lukashenko, um, fabulously decorated Australian writer, um, Tara June Winch, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast, and Evelyn Araluen, who is like a just a frighteningly brilliant young poet and critic and kind of prose writer. Um, and they, it's kind of like a, almost like a generational thing, I guess. Um, 
So I think it's going to be a really interesting and different and super fabulous opening session. I think it's sold out, but you can get it on podcast usually after the um, Writers' Festival and all of these writers are doing separate um Sessions, but I wanted to just talk super quickly about Evelyn Araluen, um, who's I'm not sure how old she is. I don't want to look it up because I think um, just confrontingly young, and she's just um, released a volume called Drop Bear, and um, so she it's kind of like a collection of poems and prose, and it is sort of funny and super biting and it's also kind of like a literary criticism of the books that she grew up with. Mm. So she's a First Nations young woman. Um, She grew up on Darug country, I think, but she's a Bundjalung woman by descent. And part of the book, parts of the book that I found the most interesting is where she interacts with Australian literature that she read when she was a kid. And like, there's a couple of May Gibbs things that are really, really interesting. And it's um, it's funny and savage and um, and really insightful, but also it's a great perspective because it's not a kind of a cancellation perspective. It's a um, it's a really deep engagement with that material and um, a revisitation of it uh, right. in a way that is really enlightening. And yeah, I don't know. She's she's great. She's got like this bizarrely brilliant brain. Cool. I'll look out for that. What did you say it was called? Drop Bear. It's called Drop Bear, which is also a, a superbly great title. Um, have you – I keep seeing on Netflix, and it's on my favourited list, but I haven't watched it yet, Trial of the Chicago 7. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, I actually saw that. Um, I've been meaning to see it for ages, and I finally saw it on a plane recently. And um, is it – did you like it? So good, yeah. I okay. mean, I must say um, I'm an idiot, but I kind of had to look up what the story was – um, before I watched it. So it's about like um, it's it sort of at the beginning of the Nixon government um, there was a trial of these men who were kind of loosely connected who had kind of organised an anti-Vietnam protest outside the 1968 Democratic National Convention. And the outgoing um, Democratic White House, you know, weren't going to charge them. They led this, you know, protest that turned violent. The allegation was the cops started it. But um, the incoming Nixon administration um, got the um, uh, DPP equivalent to press charges against this sort of collection of agitators who had sort of loosely led the protests. And so the the film is this kind of um, account of the trial so you, you kind of see bits of the protest and everything in the course of the trial. And, like, two of the defendants are these sort of dope-smoking hippies who are kind of, like, anarchists. And um, one of them is um, a leader of the Black Power movement, uh, Black, Black Panthers, I should say, um, who um, kind of turns up to give a speech and then goes away again but somehow is then accused of leading these protests Anyway, um, it's completely um, anarchic, this um, this trial, and it's got like amazing names in it. Um, 
that one of the hippie dudes is played by, uh, he's got a real name, Abby Hoffman, is played by um, Sasha Baron Cohen. Eddie Redmayne is this kind of um, straight-laced, you know, democratic activist. Oh, I love it. Yeah, 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 he's great. Um, Frank Langella is in it. He's the judge. Oh, yeah, yeah. he's great. Yeah, um, and Michael Keaton is in it as the outgoing, you know, um, Attorney General. Anyway, it's written by Aaron Sorkin or directed by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, both. Um, so it is full of fast-moving dialogue. It's very funny and, anyway, loved it. Oh, it was well, terrific. I'll get a window to take a look at it. You'll never get a window to take a look at it. <laughs> like in seven years, years' time you'll be like, crap, Still I found this great movie. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm out of here. <sighs> okay, see you later. See you.